0: So welcome to another episode of Leaders Who Love What They Do. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to have Anne Betts with me as my very special guest today. She is an international speaker and trainer on the intersection of neuroscience, coaching and human transformation. I recently started doing a course with her and her colleague all about Neuroscience and Transformation, which I'm absolutely loving. And so I'm so privileged to have her as my guest today because I really want to share her with you my lovely listeners because what she has to say I think is so important and I feel sure that you will be able to take what she says even from a few minutes of listening to her and put it into practice straight away so thank you Anne thanks so much for joining us from New Mexico I know that uh, we've managed to coordinate across the pond thank you I
1: love the title of your podcast leaders who love what they do that just makes me smile so much so I'm very happy to be here
0: oh thank you Anne well let's Dive in. I have a few questions for you. So, the very first one is really to find out what drew you to neuroscience and coaching.
1: Oh my gosh, it's such a good question. So, I've been a coach for over 20 years and been kind of watched the profession really grow and change. And I've also been fascinated by human consciousness, human development. Who are we? I want to have one of those transparent, look at the whole system, you're behind the transparent shell, because I want to understand everything. And I believe coaching is such a good tool for helping us develop. But I wanted to know more about why is it that some people seem to be able to navigate life with a certain kind of flow where it feels like whatever they touch turns maybe not into gold, but and others really, really struggle. And this has been the big project of my life. And so I actually went into neuroscience looking to see what I could discover about why humans seem to be operating at what I would call different levels of effectiveness or different levels of consciousness. And as I got and was studying neuroscience, what I also saw that was really fascinating, fascinating was that what I was doing as a professional coach was very
0: much validated through neuroscience. I know that you've been coaching for a long, long time. So how does this neuroscience, it's validating the coaching, but I know from being on the course with you that you're taking it much further, in fact. So how (laughs) does it impact your clients, would you say?
1: If I step back a little bit, I mean, when I went to coaching school and they would tell me to do this process or try this technique or this tool, they would always say, trust us, it works. But coaching was largely developed very intuitively as a profession. It was not developed based on any kind of science, I think because we didn't know the science at the time, 30 odd years ago. And so this idea of trust us, it works. Well, you know, that was enough for me, but it wasn't enough for a lot of my clients particularly those who maybe had more of a scientific brain or you know doctors and lawyers and you know accountants and- <laughs> And engineers, you know, I would want them to do something in coaching and they would think, well, that's just weird. Why are you asking me to stand up or, you know, move around the room or talk about my feelings? And so one of the things I think, and so there's a couple of layers of answer to your question. One of the things is that it gives us language with which to engage people in the process of their own development. And we can go further and deeper. If I can say to someone, I'm going to have you get up and move. And if they say, why are you doing that? You can say, well, because we know that our whole body is part of our processing system. And, you know, and I can give them some explanation. We think not just with our brain, but with other parts of our body, for example. And then they're usually more willing to explore other things in coaching rather than the just simply talk about it. And we know those other things. Things like embodiment and movement and using metaphor and color and things like that often get us more to the heart of the matter than just what the client is cognitively aware of. So I think that's one thing is we have better language for our clients. The other piece in terms of how this changes coaching or impacts our clients is that I am more concerned these days with what I can sense is going on in the client's brain and being, then I am in the rules of coaching. Because to me, the rules of coaching or the competencies or however you think about them were developed to have an impact on the client. Neuroscience gives me a broader way of looking at the impact on the client, a different sense for what's happening over there. So it's, I can break the rules and sometimes bring things in that are very very helpful um and i can i give you an example i feel like i'm being a little esoteric so one of the things we say in coaching is we don't give advice and one of the reasons why not is that people don't take to advice very well for the most part <laughs> Right. <laughs> on the one hand, you can kind of irritate them because they feel like they're not being respected. On the other hand, you can create dependency because then they want you to tell them what to do. And in coaching, what we want to do is make sure their brain is activated. They're in a place of choice. They're in the driver's seat. But if I'm holding all of that, and I have a sense of what's going on in the brain, and I'm kind of monitoring that, I can give sometimes give advice that is profoundly helpful but it's because I understand and I'm watching for what's happening in the brain and not just sort of am i following the rules
0: i mean uh, something that has really struck me whilst doing the course and I, I should point out that i'm i'm just at the beginning so there's a lot more um, for me to cover is the way that that you focus also on uncovering emotions in particular that we're not aware of i'm just wondering for me i'm finding that absolutely fascinating being able to help people to see that actually maybe they feel they're just in this particular emotion maybe frustration but actually there can also be positive emotions going on at the same time, which can be very, very helpful. I'm just wondering if you'd like to talk to that a little bit, because I think it's so fascinating that we're able to do that with that knowledge of neuroscience.
1: I love that because I think there's a a couple of layers here, and this kind of gets back to working with different strategies. So there's the layer of which we're cognitively aware. You know, we might even think of that as like they say, an iceberg is nine tenths underwater. Well, we're largely nine tenths underwater and so we need we need to honor that first layer of what are you aware of, but also have strategies to look to see what we're not aware of. And often those things that are not in full awareness might show up as a physical sensation, or they might show up as a consistent way of speaking about it for the client. They might show up in metaphors that they use. It's like they're trying to reveal themselves, but they don't generally reveal themselves in the way that we give most of our attention in the world to, which is what are you cognitively aware of? I have learned to question. I might not know for sure, but that, I, I'm always open. I want, to be curious if someone's having, you know, maybe a lot of physical sensations, there's probably an emotional component there. And, you know, if they don't want to go there, that's fine for me as a coach, but it can be a doorway to say, again, so them some information. Oftentimes when people are having a lot of Back or shoulder problems, it it can feel to them like they're carrying more than they can, or, you know, they're carrying the weight of the world. And if that doesn't resonate with the client, I don't care, I throw it out. But I know, now I'll talk more about this, but often when I say this, the client will go, You can almost feel them like lower their shoulders, be like, oh my God, you're so right. And we actually know through neuroscience, if you go fairly deep into it, which I have definitely done over the last 12 years, we know that the idea that your back hurts or that you have certain physical symptoms when you are dealing with an emotional issue is not woo-woo. It is not weird. You can map it out, you can see why this happens in the physical system. So I feel like it gives us more doorways to go through for people to help them understand. We suppress a lot of emotion in most cultures, I won't even just say Western, maybe more so Europe and, and the US, we suppress a lot, which is very, very damaging to our mental and physical health. And so part of the reason why we want to go here is that in order to move forward, we need to bring things into consciousness.
0: It's fascinating. And uh, it does also help people who maybe find it more difficult to express emotions. I think it's sometimes easier to talk about a physical symptom And rather than maybe identify an emotion, that's (laughs) maybe
1: difficult. There's a lot of cultural difference around that. And and I I do think that there's a tendency to say, I'm feeling emotional rather than, well, what does that mean? What kind of emotion? (laughs) Often one of the ways that I help people connect is just by offering more words for emotions and understanding that emotions are not a simple thing for humans. They're more of a cocktail. And I think I've developed a deep respect for how complex an individual we are. So it's rare that anyone just feels sad. Mm. It's rare that anyone just feels angry. You know, that generally there's a tinge of something else in there. You know, it's, you might be sad, but also relieved. You might be sad and also a little angry. You might be sad and feel also a little hopeless. That all of our emotions, what we're learning in the neuroscience, the old view was that they were sort of, you know, you're just angry. And that's a classic emotion, but your anger at slipping and falling on the ice or your whatever it is versus my anger, because my cats won't get out of the Christmas tree, very different.
0: The fact that emotions are not universal in that sense And that our understanding, our use of language is so complex and, and as you say, across cultural boundaries as well. And even within cultures, within families, maybe, we're going to use those words very differently.
1: Right. Or even, you know, within ourselves to start understanding the flavor of, you know, sometimes, you know, I think of it as like sort of saying, oh, this emotion is like ice cream, but what flavor is that today? Even this happiness doesn't always feel the same, even within me versus similar there. There are some overlaps. It's not, you know, there are some places where you may get a similar biochemical influx, but what your brain and your system does with that is very unique, not only to you, but also to whatever the circumstances.
0: It's fascinating. And just to add in here, I've so enjoyed the extra reading that you've given us around that, which uh, we won't go into right now because that would be a whole other podcast. But it's, <laughs> yes. yeah, Absolutely fascinating.
1: I think that what I'd really like to see from for neuroscience and leadership is a focus on honest to God, like, I don't care what a leader believes about certain, certain, sometimes I do, but other times it's like, yeah, you can believe that pushing people brings better results, but I'll tell you, it doesn't always. Let's wake up and kind of <laughs> look at the evidence. And yeah. what's, what's also sort of sad is that people don't want to let go of their beliefs,
0: even when they're refuted by evidence. Yes, letting go requires another transformation.
1: It requires a willingness to a bigger focus on effectiveness than on their ego. And a lot of people say they want what's best for their organization and they want what's best for their relationship or their family. But when it requires changing their mind, they don't anymore.
0: Maybe it's a good time to just ask you about that. Why is that so why is that so difficult for us?
1: There's a number of reasons. We construct our ego based on our beliefs. And if I have to design that, then I don't know who I am. I think that a lot of it is depending on how flexible a person is mm-hmm. and what they've been rewarded for being more rigid. It may be harder for them to learn to be flexible. We know from the process of neuroplasticity, which is sort of roughly kind of how the brain is wired, that people can get rewarded for a certain way of being, and then realize, oh, that doesn't work anymore. I was talking to my partner about this last night, and we were just talking about how sometimes in parenting, you know, it works to just sort of tell your kids what to do. And a lot of kids will just do that. And then when they get to be middle schoolers and high schoolers, they won't anymore they just won't. And he and I were talking about how important it is to be sort of flexible and understand this. And, you know, I'm watching a couple, not him, but I'm watching some other parents right now struggle with this because that Method no longer works, and they don't know how to stay connected to their children. And by paying more attention to what the kid actually needs, it's like, well, they're just not doing what I say. Now, my view is it actually never works that well, but you Mm -hmm. can get compliance up to a certain age, you can probably get compliance. But you know, far better to have a more flexible parenting style anyway. The same thing is true in organizations to a certain degree. Yeah. You can threaten people. You can be the tough guy and all of that. It does not tend to generate the most creative, engaged, you know, the workers who are giving a thousand percent because it's, it will shut some of that
0: down in the brain. And just to maybe coming back to this idea of really about being flexible, something that you you talk a lot about is, is brain integration. Would you like to just tell us a little bit about that? I know it's very, very important. And I think it's a term that's, that can be a little bit confusing maybe. You
1: know, to me, it's it's become, I'm so passionate about it that I forget, like, no, I had to learn this. I had to learn what this means. And at some point I did. It comes from the work of Dr. Dan Siegel, who is a psychiatrist and neuroscience expert and a human development expert, wonderful man. And he talks about integration being, and I'll give you a metaphor for this, but integration being things that are differentiated, but also linked. So I think it's important to understand that when we talk about integration, we're talking about a very particular definition Of what that is. So the example that he uses, and I think it's really helpful is integration. His metaphor is, is like a fruit salad because you can see the fruit. So things are differentiated, but they're also all mixed up. Something that was just differentiated would be like pineapple and apples and bananas strawberries, whatever you like in your salad, and you've got all the separate fruit, that's just differentiated. You can see what they all are, but they're not linked. They're just hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then on the other hand, if everything is just linked, but not differentiated, that's more like a smoothie. Yeah. It's like, you can sort of tell maybe there's pineapple in here, but it's all blending with the banana and we don't really know what it is, but what we really want is that fruit salad. So what does that look like for a human being? How do you be more of a fruit salad? I (laughs) I think from a neuroscience perspective, how I think of that is I have parts of me, some of it is parts of my brain who are better at certain things. And I'm going to give you an example. So one example is the right hemisphere of the brain is better at thinking holistically, taking in all the information. It's not very good at narrowing things down and looking at the details. Left hemisphere, very good at narrowing things down, looking at the details, very bad at looking at things holistically. What the research says is that in terms of your hemispheres, and this is just one example, you're better off being a fruit salad. So you want to be able to be this flexible person because integration helps with flexibility who can kind of zoom out look at the big picture and there's other things that go with that. Sometimes empathy, meaning purpose, and look at the details and say, okay, how do we put that in a structure? What needs to happen here? And that to me is very much a fruit salad. And if I'm more of like a smoothie, everything's sort of happening, but I don't know what's happening. My right brain's working. My left brain's working. I've got pineapples and bananas in the smoothie, but I don't know When which is doing what. And so I like to teach leaders about this and help them differentiate so they can see the banana part of their brain and the pineapple part and all of that and be clear oh, you have that in your brain. Now, in the fruit salad version, we can see what we're using and maybe, you know, oh, right now I actually need more strawberries or, you know, let me take a bite of banana but
0: it's more working together. Is my metaphor working? <laughs> yeah, I like that, I like that. And I think it's really interesting the way you were talking about zooming out and zooming in again, and that really, yeah. that flexibility. It's a bit like yeah. having a camera with a really excellent lens, isn't it? Yes, That yeah. uh, That can do all the, you know, can do the, the big focus. I don't mean big focus, you know what I mean? The, the wide yeah. focus, but yeah. also the, really can do the, the macro photography and that ability to change so quickly Without the stress, and I think we're coming back to your Goldilocks zone as well, being able to switch from one to the other, but without that overloading the system. Am I on the right track?
1: Absolutely. And I think what what the research on a number of things, you know, the research on creativity says that the most creative people this is nasa does some research into creativity where they at, you know have people look for multiple ways they could like use an object and the people who score the highest are people who have who are fruit salads they can zoom out they can zoom in their brain is operating in this really flexible way the best leaders the leaders that people will follow through fire the leaders that people will follow into other organizations they're not the ones that just always focus on the details and are really good at that they're also not the ones who always focus on the big
0: picture and how everybody feels they're the ones who do both just for context it was the football the world cup final this weekend and i and there was a clip of messi giving his team a little pep talk before another game it wasn't the same game and and i was really interested to see that he was doing exactly that he was zooming in on individual players and what they'd sacrificed to be in the team one had missed the birth of their child another one had uh, had missed a holiday with it, with his children or something and then he zoomed out and you're representing Argentina and this is what you've prepared for for all of your football careers that's amazing he's just done it instinctively
1: I'm going to give you another example. So I live in New Mexico and we have a wonderful female governor. And in the very early days of COVID, it was so difficult everywhere and things were locked down and we had mask mandates and, you know, and she, she, I watched a press conference with her and she said this beautiful thing. She said, we love our beautiful, big New Mexico families. We're a Catholic state in the United States. And we do a lot of Big families. She said, we love, you know, we love New Mexico. We love our big families. However, when you go to the grocery store, we need you to only go with two people and wear your mask. So she's doing this big zoom, this love, this acknowledgement, like I feel you, the empathy. And then she's saying, and here's
0: the rules. Yeah, And I'm like, I, Michelle, I love you. <laughs> yes. Like it was
1: so yes. right and
0: left. It was perfect. I'm just thinking now off the top of my head, uh, the, the prime minister in New Zealand as well, she did a very similar thing with her speeches all the time. In fact, she does yes. that.
1: Yes. It's that. And it's the blend. It's the saying it's not one or the other. And I think what I have seen sometimes where people lose this in the world is they argue for one or the other. They Mm. argue for, well, if we do that, we won't have rules or all of these rules. They're not taking into account how people feel. And I'm like, why are you arguing? There's a big plus sign. There's a big ampersand in the middle that says both. Now, both is harder for some people. Mm. Both can be harder. You know, they may not be as good at one side or the other. But to me, that's the place leaders should point themselves is, if I'm really good on the the details and zooming in, how do I get better on zooming out and be better on the empathy and seeing the context and the big picture. If I'm really good over there, how do I get better over here?
0: Because then you are a better fruit salad. I love that. To all leaders, be better fruit salad. So uh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I just have one final question oh, sure. for you. And what would be your top tip to leaders then as they go into 2023?
1: I think the stress in our world is probably never going to stop or slow down. Uh, there's a famous quote that said, life is fired at us point blank, you know, and so it's probably not gonna, gonna go, you know, back to the way it was when we were hunter gatherers. So I think that what I really want for leaders is to understand their Goldilocks zone, understand how much stimulation gives them that zhuzh where they're really excited about something, but when do they start going over the curve where they can't think anymore? And their, you know, their bodies start feeling tired and all of that. I want them to understand that for themselves and also check more into their teams and start really pushing into this idea that there's one way that everybody should be. And looking to see how do I maximize for
0: each person when they are going to bring their best, you know, to the game. I love that because that also requires them to be extremely flexible, doesn't it, in terms yes. of how a team operates. So it's not only individual fruit salads, but also a team fruit salad. A whole buffet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And um, thank you so much. What a privilege to have you on the podcast. Thank you. If uh, if listeners would like to get into contact with you, what's the best way? My website is beabove, like B E And I am
1: Anne at beabove leadership.com. Or you can just find me,
0: Ann Betts on LinkedIn great. We'll have all of that uh, in the show notes. So if you're listening and you'd like to contact Anne, click on the show links um, below the episode and you will find all the details there. Well, thank you, Anne. It's been fascinating. I've just so enjoyed it. I, I enjoy every single session in the, in the study periods, and this has been like a, an, an extra bonus. So thank you so much. And I'm, I'm just delighted to share with my listeners just a little bit Of the wonderful wisdom and knowledge that you bring and you're so generous in the way that you share it and explain it in such an accessible way so thank you thank you very much
1: oh thank you so much it's been a delight talking with you thank you thank you
0: well thanks to our listeners for joining us today and do join me again to meet another leader who loves what they do goodbye